We are continuing our series called On Guard, and this is week two. Last week, we talked about guarding our minds against worry, guarding our minds against worry and anxiety. And this is week two of an eight-week study on guarding the mind, guarding our thought life. I said last week, and it remains true, that every sin begins in the mind. Every sin begins first with our thought life. And so I want to use this eight-week series to talk about the importance of guarding our thought life, guarding and protecting our minds so that we might honor the Lord with our lives. So last week we talked about worry and anxiety, and tonight we're going to be talking about guarding the mind against lust. Uh, Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you're new tonight, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Austin, and um, just really, really glad that you um, came to worship with us and to study God's Word with us, and I hope that um, you get plugged in and involved, and I pray the Lord's blessing upon you. Second Samuel chapter 11, while you're finding your place there, let's pray, and then we will dive in. Lord, I pray that you would just now um, open up our hearts to hear from your Holy Spirit tonight. As we study your word, I pray that you would do something new and fresh in our lives. The Bible says about itself that it is living and active. And so we know, God, that when we dive into your word, that it it can actively do something in our lives where we leave a different person with new perspective and New, new eyes, Lord, seeing spiritual things that maybe we have been blind to see in our lives before. So, God, I just pray that you would do a, a, a wonderful work in our midst tonight as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So first, I want to talk about the problem of lust. The problem of lust. And then we're going to talk about the progression of lust. First, the problem of, the problem of lust. Um, Most words in the Bible that are translated lust mean a passionate desire. Now, strong desire can either be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on the object of that desire and the motive behind it. Um, Strong desire can be a good thing. It can also be a bad thing. Um, Think of it like fire. Fire can be a very good thing. It can also be a very destructive thing. Fire within its proper context, say a fireplace or a bonfire pit, can be an awesome thing. Fire in a fireplace can warm a whole house. It can warm a home. But fire outside of its proper context can be very destructive, can be very damaging. I was in high school and um, a few of us were hanging out on the 4th of July at a friend's house. And it was just a few of us from the youth group. And 4th of July, that means fireworks, baby. So you just get fireworks and you hang out and you have a good time. But fireworks and high schoolers like don't really mix too well. And so a few of us were lighting off fireworks in the backyard. And my friend's house uh, was situated on you know, a good piece of property, uh, had some woods in the backyard. And so we were setting off fireworks. One of my friends set off a firework too close to the trees and set the woods on fire. Just crazy thing. And so fire and rescue came took care of the whole thing. Um, we got in trouble and it was a great, it was a great day. Um, but fire outside of its proper context can be very damaging. We all know this. 
And strong desire is the same way. Strong desire in its proper context can be a very wonderful thing. Outside of its God-given context, it can be a very damaging, very destructive force. Job said in Job 31, 11, and 12, he summed it up well. He said, for lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a devastating fire that destroys to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. And so the concept of lust is usually associated with a passionate desire for something that God has forbidden. And the word is usually synonymous with forbidden sexual desire. Now, again, sexual desire within its proper context is a wonderful thing. God gave sexual desire to us to be expressed within the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife. But that expressed outside of that proper context will be a destructive, damaging force. And so lust is this unrestrained sexual craving of the mind that has devastating consequences. And on the problem of lust, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 30, he said, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, referencing to the Old Testament. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at someone lustfully has already committed adultery with them in their heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus wasn't speaking literally here. Otherwise, all of his disciples and every Christian would just be one-eyed like a pirate walking around with a patch over their eyes. So Jesus thankfully wasn't speaking literally about how to deal with the lust problem. But what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I want you to treat lust seriously. And it's not just the behavior of adultery that's wrong, but it is the thought process and fantasizing about the act that's wrong. So Jesus is saying here, listen, do not just treat the symptoms of lust. You have to treat the source of lust. It's the mind. And it begins with the eyes. You know, the eyes are the windows of the mind. And so as we use our eyes to look through our windows, they are feeding us constant information to the brain. And so Jesus says, treat the source, not just the symptom. Because lust begins with the thought life. Job 31 verse 1, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. Now let's talk about the progression of lust. And this is where I want you to turn with me into 2 Samuel. We're going to read just five verses in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to take some lessons here from David. And many of you know this story. Talking about the progression of sin in our lives. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. It says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. I want you to note that with me. It's, it's so important. The verse here says that at the times when the kings went out to battle, 
David stayed in Jerusalem. Oh, he sent his chief in command, Joab, out to the battle. But the Bible says that David remained when he should have been in the battle with his soldiers. Our most humiliating defeats happen when we're too confident and too comfortable. David, he's too confident and he's too comfortable. He should be out in battle, but the Bible says that he stays and he remains at Jerusalem. And verse 2 says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And I want you to notice this. And from the roof, take, a few, take note of a few words here. From the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about this woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. You see the progression of sin here. The Bible says in verse two that David saw. In verse three, it said, so David then sent. And in verse four, it says, then David slept. He saw, he sent, he slept. This is the progression of sin When first we lay our eyes on something we know we shouldn't be, and then we act on that by pursuing it further, and then it conceives and births sin in our lives. So David saw, and then he sent, and then he slept. If he saw, that would have been one thing, but then he allowed that thought to ruminate in his mind, and it caused him to take action. And so it first began with the mind. The rest of the story goes, David sent Bathsheba's husband Uriah to the front lines of battle to be killed, so he covers up the mess. Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, is is killed in battle, and so because David knows that Bathsheba is pregnant, and now he kills her husband in battle, again, has Uriah sent to the front lines, that was just basically saying, Hey, send, send your ride to the front lines. That's just easy bait. He's going to die in battle. I'm going to then take Bathsheba for my own. I'm going to look like this is a, a wonderful thing I'm doing. From the outside perspective, oh, poor Bathsheba. She's a widow now. Uriah dies, and, and King David is just taking her in. And now this baby is just a byproduct of their marriage. So it was a, it was a whole cover-up thing. The baby actually dies, and Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David David weeps, he repents of his sin. He writes Psalm 51 about his sin. And so this is David's mess. This is David's sin. And this is the progression of how his lust took place. But it all started with the eyes, which are the windows of the mind. James, in the New Testament, he also talks about the progression of sin. James 1, verse 14 and 15 He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. 
So he talks about this progression. He says each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires, they're enticed. Then after desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So he says, first you have an evil thought, an evil desire that then becomes sin. And that sin then progresses to death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What are wages? Have you ever thought about that verse? What are wages? Well, wages are something that are due you, something uh, of a payment, something that you have earned. So you go out in the job and you earn your wages. You earn a, a, a check. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You are being paid death because of your sin. I am being paid death because of my sin. And so James, he talks about this progression. He says, you have an evil desire and that gives birth to sin. Well, sin eventually just gives birth to death. And notice here, he says, each person's tempted when they're dragged away. It's this Greek word, excelco. Ek meaning out of and helco meaning to draw. So the picture of lust, the picture of sin is when we are drawn away, we are lured away into its path. It's the idea, this Greek word literally has the idea of someone fishing, someone casting a line, putting bait on the end of the hook and reeling in its prey. All right, so this, this is the picture of temptation. You ever seen Finding Nemo? This, this ugly thing's in Finding Nemo. Every time I watch Finding Nemo with my girls, this is the part I have to fast forward. It's ugly. So this is an angler fish, and it has a little rod protruding on the top of its head with this little blob that glows. And they're deep sea divers. They're deep sea fish. So there's this rod protruding on its ugly head. Okay, this is the ugliest thing God has created. And this rod is protruding through this thing's head with this glowing blob that entices other fish and fish are attracted to light. And so when this ugly thing is out in the water with its little rod poking through its head, it entices the other fish and the fish are lured away into the wonderful light. But it leads to what? It leads to their own death. This is the picture of sin in our lives. Satan packages things in beautiful wrapping so that we're enticed and lured away thinking that the very thing we're attracted to will actually provide relief and freedom when in the end it will only kill you. So tonight I want to share with you six steps in guarding our minds against lust. If you're taking notes, six steps in guarding our minds against lust. And the very first thing is to recognize that you're in a battle. Recognize you're in a battle. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, I say to you, walk in the spirit so that you don't fulfill the lusts of your flesh. For the spirit wants what is contrary to the flesh and the flesh wants what's contrary to the spirit. And these two forces are at war with one another so that you don't do what you know you ought to do. 
Galatians 5, 16 through 17. Paul says there are two forces, your flesh and the spirit that God has given every believer that dwells within you. And these two are at war with one another. It's a Greek word, antikamai, and it's a military term that means to fight. And so the flesh, your sinful nature, and the spirit that God gives every believer are going to war constantly. And Paul says, I say to you, walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of your flesh. For the flesh wants what's contrary to the spirit. The spirit wants what's contrary to the flesh. And they are at war with one another in a constant battle so that you don't do what you know you should do. And the very first thing in guarding your mind against lust is to recognize that this war exists That's half the battle. Because if you don't even recognize that you're in a battle, you've already lost the battle. So every one of us has to recognize the reality that you are in the midst of a battle. And you need to go to war. And you need to toughen up. And go to war. And stop living in this just unrealistic thought process of it's not a big deal. You're in a war and the enemy is after you and he wants to destroy your life because he hates purity and he hates holiness and he hates godliness and he hates righteousness and he hates the fact that you were created in the image of your father and so he wants to destroy you. You have to recognize that you're in a battle And if you don't recognize this, you will be defeated by it. And you have to constantly be on your guard and constantly be aware. Years ago, I was probably 12. I was with my dad and my dad was speaking at a men's conference. And after the men's conference, the last session was a QA and a session. So all the guys are in their seats and my dad is on stage and um, my, uh, my dad is filtering through different questions that the audience is asking him. And I remember distinctly, I was 12, um, going, um, into middle school and this 20 something year old guy stands up and he says, Pastor Gary, I have a question. He says, does temptation get easier the older you get? And before my dad could answer that question, I remember this 85 year old guy stands up and he says, I can answer that question. It never gets better. And he sat down. And the first thing that popped into my mind was, that's really discouraging. The second thing I thought was, you dirty old man. This is gross. Okay, this is weird. But the the Bible says that we live in these bodies of flesh and that we will constantly war in this battle until we shed this body of flesh, go be with the Lord and we get our glorified body in heaven. But until that time, we live in our flesh where the Bible says this battle exists, where the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit. So until the day we die, we will live in these fleshly bodies. Now, that's not a justification or an excuse why we we can indulge in the flesh, but rather it's just being aware of the reality that we will never leave this battle until we go to be with the Lord. So be on guard, go to war. Not in your own strength, but with the strength of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that this battle is real, this battle exists, so we have to recognize it. Number two, resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So resist him. Be steadfast in the faith. Now, how do we, how do we resist the devil? Well, many people love quoting James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you, but they neglect to remember the sentence before that, which says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? By submitting to God. These two are like hand and glove. They work together in cohesion. You cannot resist the devil if you are not first submitting to God's ways. And Satan will continually come after you and you are giving him an easy target when you are not submitting to God's ways, when he calls us to holiness, when he calls us to purity. You are giving the devil an easy target to come after you because Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's all of us. All of us are fair game to Satan. And so we need to resist the devil by submitting to God's ways. A lot of us want the devil to flee from our lives, but we're not willing to submit to God's ways. In your speech, in your attitude, in your habits, in your thought life, submit to the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to submit to you in this. Submit to to you in my lifestyle, in my relationship, in my singleness. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to live according to your call of purity with the help of your Holy Spirit And in that, it will help me to resist the devil's schemes and tactics. Number three, run towards Christ. Resist the devil and run towards the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lusts, but pursue. So you first flee Satan, flee youthful lusts, sure. But you're going to have to have something or someone to turn to, and that's the Lord. Because Paul says to Timothy, Again, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Yes, we resist Satan by submitting to the Lord in his ways and running towards and pursuing Christ. Guys, God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. God is compassionate and gracious toward all he has made. Psalm 91 talks about the Lord being a shelter to us, that we are to hide in the shelter of the shadow of the Lord Almighty and his wings. Now, God doesn't physically have wings, but the psalmist is painting this picture of God as this this bird with wings gathering its It's young into its arms, sheltering, being the secret hiding place where we can run to find safety and security and protection. So resist the devil, but pursue the things of Christ. Run towards the Lord because he so desires to wrap his loving, wonderful arms around you, bringing you into the fold, not shaming you for your sin or shaming you for your past, but wanting to reconcile you back to himself through his loving son, Jesus Christ, saying, I want to redeem the hurt and the shame and the guilt of your past. And I want to hide you in the shelter of my wings. You can find security and safety with me. Run towards the Lord, pursue him. Sin separates. The reality of sin is that sin separates. And even as believers, when we indulge ourselves in lustful thoughts and sinful things, 
we feel such shame and guilt and so our sin separates us and we turn from the Lord. But the, the Bible says, keep short accounts with the Lord. Run towards the Lord, pursue him. Number four, remove yourself from tempting environments and remove bad thoughts from your mind. Remove yourself from tempting environments. Remove bad thoughts from your mind. We have to be willing to remove ourselves from tempting environments. I'll never understand the person who wants to honor the Lord and yet is hesitant to cut themselves off from the environments that continually just bring them back into the same sinful behavior. You might need to remove yourself from certain influences, from certain friend groups, from certain environments, cut yourself off from certain devices. Remove yourself from those environments that only feed the flesh that you're trying to fight against. Remove yourself from those tempting environments. And you might have to just say, listen, I can't run with those crowds. I can't be around those environments. I can't be around these things because I'm in this war and I'm going to take this battle seriously. And so I'm going to remove myself from the environments that only continue to feed that which I'm trying to fight against. And you have to remove bad thoughts from your mind. Removing something from your mind has the idea of capturing it and throwing it away. That's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. Taking captive every thought, what does that look like? When, when a thought comes into your mind that you know is not God honoring, take it captive, say, you're trespassing. You are not supposed to be here. I'm gonna give you over to the Lord because I don't have enough strength to defeat this thought on my own. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take captive this thought. I'm going to give it over to the Lord. I'm going to throw it away. We had a fox problem on this property a few months ago. Foxes just all over the property. And my brother-in-law, Cole, he loves hunting and he loves trapping. And he was on our facilities team. He's not anymore. He's, um, he's pursuing another job, but... Um, he was on our facilities team for a few months and he loves to hunt, he loves to trap. So Ray, our facilities director, he said, hey Cole, can you, can you go trap these foxes? And so Cole took traps and he put them all throughout the property. And so watch, watch where you go around here. There's some traps here. I'm kidding, that was a while ago. So you can move freely around the premises. But Cole, loving to trap, set these traps out for these foxes and they tasted great. Okay, I know this is a tense subject, but you can like laugh a little bit with me tonight. We didn't eat them, okay? We, I don't know, we killed them or I don't even know what we did. Maybe we gave them to PETA, I don't know. Um, but that's, that's the idea. When, when a thought is on the premises that you know has no right to be here, you take it captive, you give it over to animal control. That's the Lord. Say, Lord, you deal with this. Take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ Jesus. A thought comes into your mind, at that point it's not sin until you allow it to fester there, until you fantasize on it, until you allow that thought to ruminate. But you have a thought sometimes that can come out of nowhere because Satan plants different things in your mind. Say, I'm giving this to the Lord. I'm gonna give this to the Lord. I'm taking it captive. You have no right to be here. You're trespassing in my thoughts and you give it over to the Lord. You make it obedient to Christ Jesus. 
Number five, replace impure thoughts with thoughts that direct your attention back onto the Lord. Replace impure thoughts with thoughts that direct your attention back to the Lord. So, okay, you take captive that thought, you make it obedient to Christ, but now what do you do? You have to replace that thought with something else. Because our mind is just constantly firing. We're constantly thinking. And so take that thought captive, give it obedient to Christ, but then you replace it with a thought that is God-honoring. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Romans 13, 14 says, clothe yourselves, clothe your minds with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Some of us need to reevaluate the different media we consume. And I'm not saying that every form of media that you consume, whether it's TV shows or movies or books, has to be overtly Christian. But you have to ask yourself, Does this thing, does this show, does this movie, does this book, does this content, does it encourage me to pursue obedience or does it distract me and further allow my mind to go places that will only hurt me? Reevaluate the media you consume. I don't know what that is for you. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I love shows. I love movies. I love books. I love all that stuff. But Satan loves to use media to capture our minds. And we are living in a day and age where it is media-driven. We constantly need to be entertained. We constantly need to be listening to something or watching something or reading something. And we are just on info overload. And we can't go a day without looking at our phones, without turning the TV on, without being on our computers. And I know at times it's just unavoidable because again, our work environment and it seems that just even to get by and have social interaction that it's just so media driven and again I'm not saying that's a bad thing but I am saying we all need to reevaluate what am I feeding my thought life what am I allowing my mind to consume because Paul says think about the things that push you towards Christ think about things set your minds on things that encourage you towards holiness and towards obedience. Fill your thoughts with just good things, not things that discourage you or not things that just consume your time and attention that can lead to just dependent behavior. You see, Paul says everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's permissible, permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. So he says, listen, you can make a case that Anything might be fair game, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. So ask yourself, is this beneficial? I don't know what that might be for you, but the different media you consume, ask, is this beneficial? And if it's not, do away with it. Finally, number six, remember you have the Holy Spirit. This is key, guys. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Romans 8.11 says, The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within you. And you have to know this, and you have to remember this. 
If you are a believer, the Bible says that God has given you his very spirit to live and dwell within you. We're not alone in this battle. You have the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we live out our Christian walk as if we are alone and as if we don't have access to God's supernatural strength, which you do. And if you're confused about it, just ask God. Because in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says that if you then, though you are evil, ask God for his Holy Spirit, he will give to you generously without finding fault. So ask God, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit tonight. Fill me full and fresh with your spirit that I might live my life to please and honor you. I am weak and you are strong and your strength is perfected in my weakness, the Bible says. So ask God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And remember, you have the Holy Spirit, so you're not alone. And the way that we participate in this is by feeding the things of the Spirit and to stop feeding our flesh. So again, that goes to the question of what are you consuming? Because the appetite you feed the most will consume you. So ask yourself the question, which appetite am I feeding? Am I feeding the things of the flesh or am I feeding the things of the spirit? Because Paul says in Galatians chapter six, verse eight, for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap destruction. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. He says, you feed the flesh of the flesh, you will reap destruction. You feed the things of the spirit, you will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So what am I feeding? What, which appetite am I feeding? Because again, remember, Galatians chapter five says there's these two things warring within my being, the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit. And these two things don't like each other. And so I have to make the conscious, conscious decision with the help of the Holy Spirit to feed the things of the spirit and to participate in this calling that God has on my life as a believer. So ask yourself, which appetite am I feeding? Am I feeding the things of the flesh? Is my mind and my attention constantly on the things of the world? And maybe it's not even bad things, again, but it's just, I'm constantly, my mind's constantly on work. My mind's constantly on this relationship. My mind's constantly on this show. My mind's constantly just directed towards these things. And those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But when I'm feeding these things, I don't have room to feed the spirit because my mind's just full My day is full. My thought life is full of these things. So I've quenched the work of the Spirit in my life. So make time in the morning. Just I'm going to start off my day by just feeding the things of the Spirit, getting my mind in the Word, getting my mind in prayer, feeding the Spirit. Coming here, fellowshipping with other believers, praying with other believers, encouraging myself uh, with with my my like-minded believing friends, encouraging other people, Feed the things of the spirit. Don't feed the things of the flesh. Because the Bible makes clear that when we feed the flesh, the result will just be our own destruction. So feed the appetite of the spirit and get in the word and say, God, I just want you to bathe my mind with your word today. Help me to feed the things of the spirit. Holy Spirit, help me. Go home and read John chapter 14 and 15. Because Jesus talks all about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I want you just to remember this. I want you to leave on an encouraging note that you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to fight this on your own. 
But the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to counsel you, the Bible says, and to comfort you and to strengthen you and to help you overcome difficulty and temptations that continually just plague your mind. And so when Jesus ascended back into heaven, he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans, but I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. That should encourage all of us tonight. And the Bible says that the same spirit and power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within you. So which appetite are you feeding? The things of the flesh, the things of the spirit. Feed the things of the spirit, reap everlasting life. Listen, the life of the Christian is not perfection. The life of the Christian is continually being obedient to the Lord, saying, Lord, refine me, help me, mold me and shape my life to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. I'm here in this body. I am weak, God, but you are strong within me. Help me by your Holy Spirit. Remember that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight, and I just ask that you would help us all, God, to recognize, resist, to run, to remove, to replace, and to remember. Oh, Lord, we need your strength. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We can't live out our Christianity on our own, God. We need the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray for anyone who's just discouraged tonight, discouraged because lust has been a, 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 a problem, an issue, and they're discouraged. Pray that you would lift them up tonight. Encourage them in yourself, God. Pray that you would wrap them in your loving arms, Lord. That you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. If, if you tonight, you've just been really wrestling with your thought life pertaining to lust and temptation, ask God right now, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Ask him right now. Approach his throne of grace with boldness and confidence and say, God, I need you. Be merciful to me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Ask that right now. Lord, we look to you. We seek your face. I pray that you would keep the enemy far from us, God. We're not one, Lord, to be in both extremes, that Satan is everywhere and he's always behind every rock and after us and always feeding our thoughts. Satan's not everywhere. everywhere. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. But we also want to, we don't, we don't want to fall plague, plague to just, uh, just this idea that Satan's not involved and that there's no such thing as spiritual warfare because the Bible says that we, we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers of darkness in the heavenly places. So the reality is that spiritual warfare to some degree is and can be involved in our lives, tempting us and Peter says that Satan seeks us as his prey to devour us. 
So I pray that you would help us, Lord, to guard our minds against the ways of the enemy, that you would keep Satan far from us, Lord, and far from our minds, far from our thought life, that you would help us to resist him and run to you and run to your word. Many of us have, a, have difficulty reading our Bibles and getting in the word. If that's you, just, again, ask the Lord. We're just using this, this prayer moment just to seek the Lord and to ask the Lord to help us. Because we can't do this on our own. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can. So if, if you struggle getting in the word, reading your Bible is boring. You, you can't find the time. You don't know when to read. You don't know what to read. Ask God, God, help me to read the Bible. Help me to thirst after your word. The Bible says, hide your word in your heart so that you might not sin against God. If that's you, you struggle to read your Bible, just be honest with the Lord. He already knows. Be honest with the Lord and say, God, help me read my Bible. Say, Lord, help me to run to you. Help me to pursue righteousness. Say, God, I need your help. Be honest with him. Be open with him. He already knows. He just desires that you come to him. He desires to be merciful to you, to be gracious to you. Some of us in the room just need to confess sin to the Lord and turn from sin. And you say, Lord, I confess my sin to you. I turn from it. I repent of it. Now, help me, God. And just ask the Lord, help me. And just say, I confess my sin to you, God. Forgive me. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So some of us just take time to confess your sin to the Lord. Get right with God tonight. Some of us have difficulty taking captive our thoughts and making them obedient to Christ. We know the verse. We don't entirely know what it means or we don't know how to put it into practice. Just say, God, help me to take captive thoughts that don't honor you and help me to make those thoughts obedient to you. Just pray that verse and say, God, help me. Like trapping foxes on this property. Help me to trap those thoughts that don't honor you and give them to you. Just ask the Lord for help. Lord, I pray that you give us victory in this area. That you would guard our minds. That our thoughts would be God-honoring, Lord. Our desire is to look more like your son, Jesus. Our desire is to be obedient, to live righteous lives, holy lives set apart for you and for your purposes, God. So use us, help us, protect us, hide us in the shadow of your wing, Lord. Fill us full and fresh with your Holy Spirit that we might fight this battle, not in our own strength. We're too weak on our own, God. We need your help. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to get a hold of our thought life, to make them obedient to you, God. Come, Jesus. Stir our hearts, Lord, to obedience. Thank you for being so merciful towards us, so gracious towards us, so loving towards us, that we can come to you in time of need and that you will extend that mercy and extend that grace that you desire to be compassionate towards us, God. Thank you so much for your love, for your forgiveness, for your grace. 
We just worship you now, Lord. We just seek you. We thank you for coming to our rescue, coming to our defense, Lord. We need your help. We love you. We give you all of the glory, all the praise, God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.